Hi, this is Josie Posey. And this is Sylvia Bellavin. And you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, June 25th, and this is your Sunday sermon. We're almost finished with this sermon series called Getting There. After today, there's only one more sermon to go, and we'll be finished. Once again, if you're just joining us, the whole idea behind this series is we're looking for ways that we can make forward progress in our spiritual walk. In other words, we want to become more mature Christians. Today in part seven, we'll be looking at Psalm 23, and we're going to talk about the Lord who leads. There is a lot to get through today, but it's going to be a great journey. But as we always do, let's take a moment and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing opportunity we have once again to hear from your word. Lord, thank you for all that have come. Give us ears to hear today, and may you find us doers of your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Most everyone has heard of Psalm 23. Abraham Lincoln read it to cure his blues, and President Bush proclaimed it publicly to calm our nation's fears after 9-11. I've read these words to people who were in a hospital and or nursing home. I've read them quite a lot at funerals as well. In fact, there are many times today, even at night, especially in the dark, where I feel really uneasy, and so I recite this psalm because it brings peace and assurance that God is with me and that he'll lead me through my uneasiness. But since this psalm is so familiar, I really think we might be in danger of missing the depth of its meaning. And because its setting is in the world of sheep and shepherds, many of us city folk can go right past the richness that it has. Do you know that the Bible refers to us as sheep nearly 200 times? So I want to take a closer look at this psalm with you today. There are two main characters here, the shepherd and his sheep. And there are three main ideas, and they are these. Number one, the shepherd's provision is personal. Number two, the shepherd's protection is pervasive. And number three, the shepherd's pleasure is paramount. First, let's talk about the shepherd's provision being personal. We're going to be looking at the first three verses here. God provides for us personally because of who he is. Look at that first phrase in verse one. Do you see it? It says, the Lord. This is the name Yahweh, and it was the first name revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Ordinary Israelites considered this name to be too holy to just be spoken by human lips. In fact, it was so revered that it was only pronounced once a year on the Day of Atonement and then only by the high priest in the most holy place in the temple. If the name needed to be written, the scribes would bathe before writing it and then destroy the pen afterwards. While Yahweh is difficult to define, this name refers to the fact that God is who he is. He's the one who causes everything else. He is unchanging the one who inhabits eternity. And yet, this is the name David chooses in the opening verse of Psalm 23. The great I am is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, he cares for me personally. The first way he does that is he makes us content. The last part of verse one, it tells us that since the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack in anything that is really necessary and good for me. Do you see what it says? It says, I shall not want. There was a substitute Sunday school teacher who asked his class one day, how many of you can quote Psalm 23? Several of the children raised their hands, including a little girl who was just four years old. 
The teacher was surprised that someone so young would know Psalm 23, so he asked her to recite it to the class. She stood up and said, The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. She had the words mixed up, but understood the message perfectly. One of the best definitions of contentment I've ever heard is this. Contentment is not having everything you want. It's wanting everything you have. When someone says, I shall not want, we need to sit up and take notice because we live in an age of discontentment. Max Lucado refers to our discontentment as the prison of want. Its prisoners want something bigger, nicer, faster, and thinner. If your happiness comes from something you deposit, drive, drink, or digest, then you're in the prison of want. Are you hoping that a change in circumstance will bring a change in your attitude? If so, you're locked up. You're in a cell of discontentment. Allow the powerful simplicity of verse 1 to permeate your personhood. What you have in your shepherd is greater than what you don't have in life. Do you believe that, beloved? The second way God's provision is personal is that it nourishes us. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Notice that the shepherd makes me lie down. First century scholar Josephus had written that sometimes the shepherd would institute forced rest periods for his sheep, especially for the pregnant ewes and frolicking lambs. The shepherd would take the sheep and fold their legs in such a way that they would become paralyzed for a while and therefore had to lie down and get their much needed rest. Some of you may have been made to lie down as a result of a broken bone, maybe some other health problem, heartbreak, or even the loss of your job. The shepherd has slowed you down for a reason. After being fully fed, the sheep are then led to still waters. Sheep by nature are afraid of running water and they'll refuse to drink unless everything is still and quiet. Shepherds would often divert water from a rushing river to make a private pool of refreshment. Even with the sweet waters, the shepherd has to lead the sheep to the good water because otherwise they will stop and drink from polluted puddles where they can pick up parasites. We're a lot like that, aren't we? God has provided so much for us and yet we often drink from places that are only going to harm us. The third way God's provision is personal is that it restores us. Because sheep are careless, curious, and grumpy creatures, they often need to be restored. Look at the first part of verse 3. He restores my soul, it says. The word restore means to bring back to a former or normal state, to make new. Sheep can get lost faster than any other animal. This can be a serious issue for many reasons. They may fall or get hurt. A predator may pounce on them or they may simply tip over and become cast down. This is a term for a sheep that is lying flat on its back with its feet flailing in the air. When a sheep is missing, often the first thought to flash through the shepherd's mind is that one of the sheep may be cast. Buzzards and coyotes know that a sheep that is cast is easy pickings and death is not far off. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he rolls it over and lifts it to its feet. Then he straddles the sheep holding it erect, rubbing the limbs to restore circulation, while talking to it gently. What a picture of what God does for straying saints. He looks for us when we've wandered and he restores us when we're cast down. God is the God of second chances. I'm so thankful that Christianity is a series of new beginnings. Beloved, if you're cast down today, or if you've strayed from the flock, allow the shepherd to restore your soul. He'll bring you back and he'll put you back together. The fourth way God's provision is personal is that it guides us. Verse 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The word used for paths refers to a well-defined and well-worn trail. This is one more bit of evidence about how stupid sheep really are. 
Even when the path is perfectly clear, sheep will still stray. Since the shepherd knows the trails, he can guide them in the best way. God longs to lead us in paths of righteousness. Most of us know the right road we should take, but our selfishness and sinfulness often lead us astray. We need the shepherd to guide us in the right way because like sheep, we often have no sense of direction. As we submit to the shepherd, he'll lead us in paths of righteousness, and he does this for the sake of his name. God guides us for his sake, not ours. His reputation is at stake. His character is on display. His name is Yahweh, and he will accomplish his purposes and lead us on the proper paths. God's provision is personal and can be seen in the fact that he gives us contentment, nourishment, restoration, and guidance. As we come to verse 4, we're going to see the second main idea of this psalm, and that is this. God's protection is pervasive. We're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5 here. It's here the psalm changes direction. In verses 1, 2, and 3, the sheep are in the sunshine. In verse 4, the sheep are in the shadows. God not only takes care of us through the delightful times, he guides us through those dark seasons of life as well. Notice also here the pronouns change. In the first half, David is extolling the virtues of the shepherd using he and his to refer to God. Now in the second half, David speaks to the shepherd directly. He says in verse 4, you are with me, your rod and your staff, you prepare, you anoint. When times are tough, God becomes more real to David. Have you ever experienced that? The promise-keeping God guides us through times of deep gloom and despair. We see that God's protection is pervasive, covering every aspect of life from green pastures to the shadows of death. Here's a couple of key aspects of this. The first is, there's no need to fear death. Look at the first part of verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is a picture of a shepherd leading his flock back home in the evening. As they go through the rocky ravine and narrow gorges, long shadows dance across the trail, frightening the flock. The shepherd knows from experience that predators like bears and wolves can take cover in these cliffs, and they wait in ambush for some fresh lamb chops. David could also be referring to the approach of autumn when the sheep are forced to find other fields and get ready for the coming winter. During this time, the flock is entirely alone with the shepherd and must follow closely to avoid danger. Now notice it says that we walk through the valley. In other words, we don't stay there. We're passing through. Through the blackness, there is brightness. Through the gloom, there is glory. Notice also the word shadow. In one sense, the shadow of something is more ominous than what it represents. On the other hand, the shadow of a dog can't bite, and the shadow of death cannot harm us if we stay close to the shepherd. When there's a shadow, there must be light somewhere. In 1 Corinthians 15:55, it reminds us the Redeemer has removed the sting of death. Only the shadow of it remains. David continues in verse 4, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was like a club that often hung from the shepherd's belt. It was used to protect the sheep. Shepherds were very adept in their aim and would throw this club at attacking animals. The staff is a slender pole with a little crook at the end. It could be hooked around the leg of a lamb to pull him from harm. It could also be used to direct the flock and occasionally to discipline the sheep. Folks, like the sheep, we must rely completely on the shepherd for safety and direction. We must lean on the Lord for all that we need and find comfort in his power and corrective discipline. When the sheep could see the shepherd's rod and staff, they knew that they were protected. They could walk through the dark valleys as long as the shepherd was with them. The word comfort comes from the Latin word com, which means with and speaks of company. Fortis is the word for strong. So when you put these two thoughts together, we get the idea of strength through companionship. We can be strong in the face of death because we have a companion who has championed over the grave. 
The next aspect is that because God will protect us, there is no need to fear enemies. Look at verse 5. David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some commentators suggest that David is switching metaphors here to that of a gracious dinner host. There might be something to be said for that, but I think he's using a more common expression to describe what a shepherd does to prepare a pasture. Ideally, the best place for the sheep to graze is on a flat mesa or tableland. Before letting the lambs romp around, the shepherd inspects it for poisonous plants and makes sure that there's no predators prowling around. The sheep can eat and rest, even though there are enemies nearby because the shepherd is doing his job. And lastly, because God will protect us, there's no need to fear any problem. Look at the middle section of verse 5. It's rich in meaning. You anoint my head with oil, it says. If David is referring to a dinner party, he has in mind the generous host who goes around the table putting expensive and fragrant oil on the guests' foreheads. This would help neutralize body odor and smells of the field that could spoil a fine dining experience. In our culture, it would be like giving each person a stick of deodorant when they came in your house. In that day, oil was also a sign of rejoicing, so to be anointed with it was to be splashed with joy. While that may shed some light on the meaning of this text, I think David is still submerged in the sheep and shepherd relationship. In ancient Israel, shepherds used oil for three purposes, to repel insects, to prevent conflicts, and to heal wounds. Do you know sheep are really bugged by bugs? Flies like to deposit their eggs in the tender membrane of the sheep's nose. When the eggs would hatch, larvae would drive the sheep insane, causing them to beat their heads against rocks and trees. When sheep see flies, they freak out. They shake their heads up and down for hours. The shepherd knows what flies can do, so he covers their heads with an oil-like repellent. This oil is also used to prevent injury to the rams as they butt heads in their battle to win the affection of the ewes. The third reason for the oil is because the flock gets a lot of wounds and cuts simply by living in the pasture. They get pricked by thorns or receive abrasions from the rocks. This oil serves as an ointment to protect their sores from getting infected. What a beautiful picture of what the shepherd does for us. He deals with our problems by protecting us from those things that can wipe us out. He helps us have harmony with others. And he comforts us and heals us when we're beat up. We're wounded sheep in need of a healing shepherd. Do you have any wounds today, my friends? Because God's protection is pervasive, we don't have to dread death. We don't have to be anxious about what enemies may do to us. And we don't have to be paralyzed by our problems. But now we come to the final truth of this psalm, and that's this. The shepherd, God himself, we're going to talk about the shepherd's pleasure is paramount. We've already seen that God guides in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now let's talk about how God's pleasure is demonstrated. First, God gives us more than we need right now. Look at the last part of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. They say, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This picture has two meanings as well. The shepherd would often carry something to drink and would share it with his sheep when they needed it. He would be generous because he knew that they had to have liquid or they would perish. The other meaning may be that of dinner hosts who would serve drinks in cups and would pour until the cup literally overflowed. This was a common way to tell your guests that they could stay as long as they wanted. But when the cup sat empty, the host was hinting that it was time to leave. God's goodness and love will follow us. The word follow literally means pursue. The Message Bible translates it this way. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. What a picture that is. For those who have put their faith in Jesus, we have been given much more than we deserve, and we have more than we need. That's his goodness. 
We're also recipients of his love and mercy by not receiving what we deserve. If God gave us justice, we'd be punished for our disobedient wandering. But because of Jesus, we can have confidence in his mercy. His goodness and love led Jesus to the cross where the shepherd gave his life for his sheep. Why does the Lord do all this for us? His motive is to display the honor of his name. It brings him great pleasure to overflow in goodness and love toward needy sheep-like people. He's pursuing you right now in order to give you more than you need and certainly more than you deserve. God's pleasure is also demonstrated in how he prepares us for everything we'll need later. We have more than we need right now, and we'll have everything we need for eternity. Look at the last phrase of verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm begins with a joyous statement, the Lord is my shepherd, and it closes with an equally positive affirmation of faith, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sheep have been following the shepherd to green pastures and through shadowy valleys. The seasons have changed and now they're coming home. The flock is now ready to winter in the safe harbor of the good shepherd's home. They are so satisfied with the flock to which they belong and with the ownership of the shepherd that they have no desire to change a thing. They want everything to go on forever. Because we enjoy the presence of the shepherd and have more than we will ever need in this life, we can't wait to spend eternity with the Lord in his house. Forever we'll praise him, giving glory to his name as we recognize that his pleasure is paramount. Psalm 84 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. As we wrap this up today, let me share with you three lamb lessons. First, join the shepherd's flock. The Lord is looking for lost sheep right now. If you've never asked Jesus to save you from your sins and shepherd your life, you're not in his flock yet. A famous actor with a wonderful voice was once asked by an old preacher to recite Psalm 23. The actor agreed on the condition that the preacher would also recite it. The actor stood up and gave a dramatic presentation of the psalm with wonderful intonation and modulation. Everyone applauded wildly. The preacher then stood up and in a very rough voice, broken from many years of preaching, quoted the 23rd Psalm from memory. When he finished, everyone was crying with some people kneeling on the floor. A couple minutes later, someone asked the actor what made the difference. This is what he said, I know the psalm but he knows the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd, my friends? If not, you can join his flock right now. The second lamb lesson is stay close to the shepherd. Many sheep will come to the shepherd daily and rub against his legs and wait for a pat on the head. They want the assurance that the shepherd is there for them. Sheep that stay close to the shepherd reach the water first. Those next to the shepherd get to the sweetest grass first, but most of all, they get to enjoy it all with the shepherd by their side. When we stay close to the shepherd, he will make sure of all our needs are met. Unfortunately, many of us like to stray. Sometimes as a last resort, a shepherd will discipline a straying sheep by putting a leg across his staff and with one quick motion pull down on that leg to break it. Because the sheep cannot walk, the shepherd then carries the sheep from field to field, sometimes even putting him on his shoulders. Do you know what happens as a result of that discipline? The sheep never strays again. They become so used to being next to the shepherd that they can't imagine going their own way again. He had to be broken in order to be healed. Does that sound like you today, my friends? Perhaps the Lord is disciplining you right now. Remember, it's not to punish you, but to bring you back to his side. Stay close to the shepherd. And the last sheep lesson is this, follow wherever he leads. When you know the shepherd through salvation and stay close to him as part of your discipleship, you're going to want to follow him wherever he leads you. 
Sometimes it's through the valley. Other times you'll experience green pastures. The shepherd has a plan for you and he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. Are you willing to follow him regardless of the direction he takes you? One of the things we learn from the structure of Psalm 23 is that we can't speak too long about God with our minds before we must turn and speak to God from our heart. The theology of he leads me must become personal. You are with me, in other words. And it's often in those tough times when we turn to Psalm 23 and are drawn closer to the shepherd. It's there that our doctrine becomes dynamic as we cry out to him for help. So as I close, please join me as I pray this song of the sheep back to the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God, real hope.